Vets Talk. This is Kevin Horgan, co-founder, along with Charlie Scott, of our free and open venture to bring veterans into the limelight through stories, biographies, subject matter expert interviews, leadership lessons, and sometimes ranting and raving and howling at the moon. Now, Vets Talk is a collaboration with Zach Knight and Knightley Productions and Vetlanta, a team that networks with transitioning veterans to make the Atlanta area the first choice of locations to settle in, to live, work, play, and pray, and maybe raise a family to stay connected to our tribe, the veteran community. Hi, Kevin Horgan here, Vets Talk. I'm going to talk to my good friend, Brandon Watts of Operation Rally Point, and I'm not going to suck up any more of his time. We're going to get right to it. Brandon, tell us everything about your life from the moment you were born to when I just introduced you now, and please don't skimp on the details. No worries. Um, Kevin, firstly, I want to thank you for having us on. And um, I want to thank you also for the efforts that you do at Vetlanta and things for our comrades in our community. Um, I was born in Decatur, Georgia, Decatur, where it's greater. I grew up in Lawrenceville, Georgia, and went to Central Gwinnett High School. And then uh, joined the Army at 19 years old. And I was in the invasion of Iraq with uh, 27 Infantry 3rd ID. Um, 2003, across the berm on March 19th, and uh, we took the airport and then the second Thunder Run into Baghdad, and uh, it's good times. Yeah, I, was <laughs> I, I bet it was. I bet it was. How many years? Uh, in the Army total, so I had some active time and then reserve time, so um, roughly 15 total active reserve and then IRR. Um, I'll get into that in a little bit. It's been a wild journey between all three sides uh do a little contracting too so um and so i did initially three years active duty in the army i came home from iraq and living through love letters decided i was going to get married to someone uh we probably barely knew and uh we realized soon she graduated college and i came home from the army active duty i went to reserves and realized that um we weren't compatible and so we uh, parted ways. I was also, again, in the invasion, I was 21 years old, and I came home with a, uh, you know, the Vietnam guys talk about when they came home, the things that they endured, and we went over really fully expecting that, right? Almost our fathers and our grandfathers, right? And so I came home and got quite the opposite. It was, you know, you're getting free meals at Applebee's and free drinks and people want to be around you. And that, that kind of goes to your head a little bit as a 21-year-old man, as a, air quotes, war hero, you know, and you're living living high on the hog and everybody's uh, thankful and appreciative and loving you and, and, you know, thankfully you're home, you know. At the same time, you're thinking about, you know, your brothers that were wounded, those that were lost, and, and you're trying to balance the two. And so uh, we ended up getting divorced, and um, I got a place with uh, a couple of buddies of mine. One of them was a Marine. And I struggled a lot with my mental health and I didn't know really where to reach out to. I was trying to replicate Iraq a little bit, a lot of at risk behavior, a lot of drinking, a lot of drugs, a lot of everything else um, from, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll type lifestyle, I guess, you know, and uh, it just got way, it just got crazy. Um, I guess we could go in a little bit of detail, but there was a time I was pretty, um, messed up and a bunch of people over at my house and somebody said something about crazy 
And I went in my friend's room and came out with his grandfather's 38 police special and put a round in it in front of a bunch of people and spun it and put it in my head and pulled the trigger twice. And I tossed it to Jesus. my best friend. Tossed it to my best friend, and he went out to the yard, and he was in the Army also, and he hit his knees, and he's in tears. Again, we were it's about three when we run, right? And uh, I asked him why he's upset, and I didn't like his answer because he said, I just, you know, about watch my best friend kill himself. And uh, I looked at him and told him pretty much he was weak and took it back. Walt was walking inside, reached up in the air and pulled the trigger and it fired off. And I walked right into the room, tossed it in my buddy's room and went to sleep. Woke up the next morning like, man, what what did I do last night? You know, it's crazy. Who's, you know, who acts like that? There's another time. I, I'll keep this G-rated too, though. But um, a lot of that risk behavior. And... Somebody gave me something one time that wasn't what they said it was. And I paid the price for a day and a half and realized that's not how I want to live. And I was going to give up, honestly. I just, I was done. I quit paying rent and called my pops. My pops a football coach and a man's man, love him to death. But it's hard to go back home when you ain't been at home since you're 18 years old. And I said, pops, I need to come home for a few days and figure it out. In that time, I had uh, gone back to a reserve unit in Gainesville, and in haste to get out of there, uh, I filled out a bunch of paperwork and didn't realize it until I got back home uh, a month later when I left everything, and I, I walked back to my folks' house with the, the clothes on my back, a defeated, beaten man that um, I had 4187 myself back to active duty, and uh, <laughs> a lot of orders. And so I was. I went to the combat <laughs> advisor school at Fort Riley, Kansas, and was deployed on a MIT team. And um, I was IA'd. And there I met uh, a buddy of mine, a bunch of people are you IA'd. We'd all fill out paperwork, you know. And uh, we met a, met a, a female a lady, girl, um, Beth, who uh, we hung out together and and she kind of opened my eyes. You know, I was an infantryman. I never been around women in the military, right? And she kind of opened my eyes that they are capable and can do things. Actually, she won the range on the 50 cal, right? And it was kind of cool. And she ended up connecting with my friend, and they ended up getting married. She and him were my roommates in Iraq, my second tour. So I went over. I was IA'd, and I got yanked while I was there doing personal security um, in Phoenix Base, Iraq, in Phoenix Base in the IZ. So, which is very top heavy. It's a joint environment. A lot of generals, colonels, I think we had 19 flag officers, um, 80 something full birds. And here I was an E5 sergeant infantry man and uh, in a new world, in a new world, you know, in the big army, I guess, really the big military. And I learned a little bit of um, the politic inside of the military and uh I learned how to do it on the on the big end, and and it's a it's a far bigger thing than you know, right? When you're you're just grunting the line front towards enemy, go to do. Now you realize all the moving parts from the military to make this operate, and then the deals that go down over a cigar, you know, and and it was kind of cool. So, um, Beth and and Mike were my roommates, and Beth had decided we were all going to go to Thailand for our leave against my judgment. And I ended up meeting my wife in Thailand, and uh, we are now on year 15, 
So nice. Congratulations. Um, and uh, thank you. It's been awesome. We'll get to that in a second. So, yeah, I learned a lot. I, I knew when I was going through the combat advisor school that most of those people were um, combat support and service support roles. They weren't infantrymen. I was the only infantryman. And this is the MIT school, which is combat advisor school. A lot of it is infantry stuff, right? So they asked me to teach these folks things and put some responsibility on me. And I realized you know, I needed to grow up that my wild lifestyle is not conducive to success on the battlefield. I'd always been able to compartmentalize the two, right? We work hard, play hard. But here I'm living in an environment and these people aren't going to make it if you don't show up and yeah. grow up. Right. So it, for, it forced me into a position to actually take it all seriously and put myself in a, in a role that if you're not effective in trading these folks, it's going to cost them on a battlefield and you can't save everybody. Right. So it, it gave me kind of a, uh, I guess a step stool to, to adulthood. Really. And um, so from there, after I met my wife and we rotated back to the world, I uh, went to a reserve unit, a the small arms readiness group out of Fort Gillum. And I was a small arms instructor. And we travel around teaching, deploying units, um, small arms, which I enjoyed. I enjoyed the platform, went to the Army Base Instructor course, and that was a cool role. Uh, also gave me responsibility. You got a, a um, government credit card, no mismanagement, you know, and uh, I had to be responsible, which, again, is part and parcel with the role. So from there, um, Beth and Mike, who – the reason I mention her so much is she's a co-founder, right? So she and she and Mike went overseas contracting. I had um, thought about the idea. I applied for a company uh, to go overseas and teach ECPs, inch control points, after two tours of Iraq. As an infantry guy, I figure why not put my family in a pretty good position, make some money. And Mike and Beth had called me and said, why don't you just come to Kuwait instead? And... Um, and make some money not get blown up. And I said, well, I think I could drive a forklift. Let's do this. So <laughs> I, I joined in for a year and a half over Kuwait. We lived on the economy and, and uh, went to work every day. And we lived right across the hall from each other and just traveled the world together. Did a lot of stuff together as a family. And uh, so while I was there, I saw, I know Tyler talked to me about this on the phone, but, and I don't want to go too deep into this for, for sensitive reasons, but I saw a system in place in the Middle East that I detest, and that is the kafala system, right? It's a slavery system. So I, my wife coming from Thailand also gave me insight of what people will do for their families. So many of these people from the Philippines, India, uh, Bangladesh will put themselves in bondage in the Middle East to make limited money, but it's more they make back home to feed their families. So I didn't, I didn't really like that. So I, I did some things. I went to Mike and Beth and I said, I need about $3,000. I'll match you. And I bought a, a restaurant over there and I ran it essentially as a proxy. And I took in runaways. And then we would, I convinced the Kuwaiti that because of Wasta, if he was buying other people's passports, he was the man. He agreed. And we would give them the money to do that. And we got their passports and then we would give them back their passports. And they either repatriate them to the country of origin or get them legitimate employment. There's a lot of people hire them and let them keep their passport. That was important to us was, again, humanity, right? You should be able to leave when you want. This isn't a jail. This is a Amen. prison. Yes, and sir. so 
I came in that I'm like, if I can't kill the enemy anymore, uh, maybe I could do some good. So I came home and we all came home and uh, I was like, I'm going to start an NGO and I'm going to help people in the Middle East. And I did a little research and I knew a lot of folks, especially former military members who had started NGOs that work on human trafficking around the world. And I always, again, it was a big thing for me about freedom and liberty. That's why I love this country, right? Again, I'm a, I'm a Lockean at heart. So I believe John Locke and life, liberty, pursuit of property. So the goal was to do that. And um, in that, I got a phone. I went back to school uh, at Georgia State first and did it, uh, George Gwinnett, to get a degree in history, you know, a degree in history of Western civilization. While doing that, John, my, Johnny Grimes, who co-founded this organization, had called me up. If Johnny is a rough cat. Johnny won the Golden Gloves in three states. He was my roommate in the Invasion of Iraq, and he's the toughest person I've ever met. So when Johnny calls me, he tells me he's living in a storage unit, went through rough stuff. One day he can talk about his story, but I was living in a storage unit in Alaska, his last duty station out, and it's December. He said, I need some help. So I know he meant it. So I went to my wife, who obviously from Thailand. I said, baby, you've been poor. I grew up poor white trash in Lawrenceville, Georgia. We about to be poor again. So I went to the account and had 1200 bucks and took out $840 and flew him down here. And he stayed on the floor for a, for a week or two where we drained his massive 401k of 2100 bucks and got him into a hotel and eventually into a lease and, and got him a vehicle and started building his life back. And uh, at the same time, I'd sold him on my idea that we're going to build a NGO and help human trafficking victims, you know. So Johnny then brought his uh, fiance now and his son and then his other son down here. So I went to Asheville, North Carolina and to do some side work. While I was there, I was dropping a man off at the hotel and there was a man sitting in the parking lot with a Navy hat on in a wheelchair. And I walked past him, I walked into the hotel and something was telling me, go outside and speak to him. I don't, my faith tells me I know where it came from, but I said, I'll catch you guys later. I walked outside and um, I just said, thank you for your service. And I shook his hand. He saw my KIA bracelet and he asked me if I served. I said, I did. And I told him a little bit of that, that I'd served in Iraq. You know, He asked me what I was going to do and I told him I was going to create an NGO. He then uh, pulled up his shirt. He had a scar down his chest. And he said he woke up in a VA recovery facility in West Virginia. And he was there for a year. And then his wife would come see him. And he was the only one that had any family come see him. And he asked, why, God, why did you spare me? What is my purpose? He said he's now the chaplain at the same facility and has been for years. And I said, that's a that's really great. good story, you know, kind of inspiring. Yeah. And then he changed my life. He said, um, what about our people? He said, don't we equally come from an environment that's very different from the civilian world? He said, even so much as a prisoner who's been institutionalized, it's the, it's the mentality. You come out in this world, you spend your formative years between 18 and 25 in service, learning to be a man, right? Learn to be a woman. Mom and dad can't bail you out when you're 25 to 35 with kids. When you're 18 in college, they can't. And we come out here to the world with nothing, and we're expected to go out and thrive, and we suffer and we struggle. And he said, our demographic has one of the highest homelessness rates in the world. And I thought, man, 
that was pretty deep, old man. You just blew my mind. Thank you for ruining my night of sleep. So I went to sleep and I woke up at 6 a.m. wide awake. I went out the back parking lot of the hotel and he was sitting out there watching the sun come up. And I said, Pastor Terry, change my life. You'll never know it. Didn't know. He gave me his email address. He never responded to it. Who knows? I came home and I said, Johnny, we got uh, a lot of our brothers and sisters are struggling to serve with us, much less those that serve this country that are out on the streets. What are we going to do, more or less, as society? And Johnny looked at me in class at Johnny. And, I don't know. You're the brains, bro. I said, you got your rock. He said, I do. So we um, packed our rucks, and we hit the streets of Atlanta. And we spent 100 nights overnight with the homeless in Atlanta. Wow. Uh, bringing what wow. we thought bringing what we thought homeless people needed. Beth then joined us and came on the streets with us. So me, Mike, and Beth were walking the streets of Atlanta. Spent a lot of time at Hurt Park, um, Woodruff Park, behind the Capitol at the church. A lot of places, met a lot of people. Kind of, I realized, one, that most people go downtown and feed the homeless after church on Sunday. And whether they believe it or not, they don't understand it. It's exploitative. And those people down there feel that they're really utilized for somebody's own personal life. I feel good because I fed a homeless person. We went down in the middle of the night because I felt like most people are more comfortable in their own place, in their house, right? And they don't have a home. So we go where they sleep. And then, too, I knew that they wouldn't just offer up their whole life to us on the first day. You have to build a relationship. You have to go and build trust and show that we're not here taking pictures. I have a few. We posted them, right? But we didn't go down here like in the full interview process and try to exploit their their struggle. We just got to know them and treat them like human beings. And in doing that, they've accepted us in, and we got to talking about a lot of stuff. They were filming a movie down there one time, and and these actors uh, walked by and they made a disparaging comment towards me and Johnny as well as the other homeless people. And Johnny, Johnny got pretty hot pretty quick, and I just calmed him down and I was like, "Look, you know, I kind of laugh because we're dealing with this for one night." I'm going home with my wife and kid in the morning, you know. These folks deal with this every day. They get treated. And many of these people serve this country, and they're being talked to that way. It's tough. It, it hit deep at home, and it, it was humbling. So we, um, we started posting on Facebook about our journey, and then we realized that we had starting a nonprofit organization helping homeless veterans. And we realized that, man, bringing people stuff. Beth worked at the supply um she was a supply uh, sergeant in the army and she brought us a bunch of sleeping bags and we gave them out to some people. And then they started showing up with black eyes and their stuff missing and realized that actually we we're putting them in harm, giving them nice things that people down by the train tracks would take their sleeping bags, you know, it's not fair. So we looked at it as what do we do? Well, the best way to end anything is to prevent it, right? Where do we step up there? So we founded a, a nonprofit organization. Well, we called it Operation Rally Point, and applied uh, for our did us all on our own with no money, no seed money. Again, I was a broke college student, and uh, I'm still finishing my degree. And Johnny was broke, formerly homeless, living in a storage unit in Alaska. Beth had gone over contracting, but she is was vulnerable in this and battling her PTSD stuff. We talked late at night and stuff. Her and her husband. So we went out and just started uh, doing what we thought we could. 
and people started sending us money, you know, on Facebook. They're like, hey, the man I read on my wrist, you know, we, me and Johnny have 21 plus brothers that are gone, but this one especially, his father, who's on a board now, sent us 500 bucks. Is like, I, you know, I would hope that my son would be with you. And I was like, he is, you know, and he sent us 500 bucks. He's like, go help somebody. And more people started getting in and like, hey, we love it, dude. Keep doing it. So we did. And, um, you know, I we went out and got a, a grant somehow from Waffle House for 15 grand. And I went to Very the nice. CR, I went to the CRC in Atlanta and uh, I sat in there for four hours and got angry. And I asked them, why aren't you helping these people? And they said, we can't. We're limited on what we can do through our partnerships. We're limited because they have families, things like that. And I said, well, I, I like to say I'm a, a dichotomy of arrogance and humility. It's, it's <laughs> That's the an interesting way of putting it. Yeah. It's, it's the infantry man in me, right? And I and I looked at him and I said, well, good, I'll show you how to do it. And I, I took those families and we got them into a hotel on Memorial Drive. And every one of them got a permanent housing through SSVF and Hudvash. That's how we learned. I spent $15,000 about a month, month and a half, with no backup plan, just all in. And, uh, Eventually, people started giving us money. At one point, you know, when you start something like this, Kevin, you, you don't – nobody understands why you do it. And, and they question it. They think, man, you got a degree in history. You've done this. You've done that. Why would you go down on the streets of Atlanta and, and, and throw your life away? You know, everybody's worried about you. And so, um, you know, we, uh, we just kept at it, though. And I was thinking I was going to shut the Facebook page down. Because I was done. I was beaten. I couldn't raise money. I thought if I just went and told that story to people, they just start throwing money at us to go help people because this is, you know, it's just who we are. And, uh, you know, I stayed up all night praying and I asked for strength that I could face all these people and tell them they were right. That this was a, um, uh, I don't want to say it was, a, it was a dumb idea, but this is something that, you know, is bigger than me. And I got a phone call from a friend of mine who served with me and his wife is a biochemist. They own Cats Naturals and they do CBD oil stuff. And he, he had no clue. And I was going to shut down the Facebook that day. And he called me and he says, hey, man, you know, we talked a few years ago. I love what you're doing. Keep going. I'll see you $2,000. And we'll see you two grand a month. And uh, wow. then wow. I'm like, well, shit. Oh, excuse my language. Yeah. <laughs> I said, well, Blown away, right? Like, what do you do? And now, now I have no choice, right? Now it's right, not. Right. It's not me living on. I got at that point. I was, I think, already sixty percent disability. My thirteen hundred a month. It's not me spending my dollars. Now other people are vested. Other people right. are expecting you to get out and do some work because they can't. They're putting it in every day at their job. So through us, they're helping people. So we just, hey, Brandon, if I can, I um, we only have a couple more minutes. So this yeah. is a, a, a really a compelling story, and I'm uh, it's uh, I'm humbled listening to it. I uh, since we only have a couple more minutes, could you just tell us uh, what's an intake like for one person, just the sure. average, and what's the process, please? Sure. So um, before we get there, Kevin, could I add this too because I think it's important. Please. Um, so we found out um, almost four year ago, years ago now. Uh, Beth had cancer at 36 years old, oh. and um, we lost Beth in April, um, I think 2019. I'm so so sorry. we lost our co-founder. Uh, it, it was tough. 
Well, I wanted to add that because I brought her up into this stuff, and she has mm. two beautiful children. Her husband is still involved with us when he can. He runs a business and stuff, so we we still honor her to this day, and we we put it in every day because of it. Um, yeah. So from there, Kevin, we built this into a thing, and people started jumping on board, and now we uh, got on the VA crisis line. I know Blake could talk about a lot of this on his his deal, so I wanted to uh, avoid a lot of that. But yeah, if we get a veteran that calls from whether it's the VA crisis line. Or whether that's through any other reference or referral that comes to us, we have them go they go through our intake process, which we have an intake coordinator now or as a case manager, who will then take the information that we need from that person, which is when we're under their branch of service, we want to know if they're getting disability or not. Um, and if they are, I don't care whether it's 10% or 90%, but if you're getting 100, I need to know because there are organizations like SSVF and HUDVASH that won't help you if you're 100%. Unless you have so many um, dependents, right? So those the, the information we need on that, and also the budget, um, what your income is, because the SSVF and the HUDVASH programs both have an income limit. So we try to 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 follow that, and know where we can help, and then also what led you to this point, so that we may also understand their organization is very specific in nature, and we want to be able to connect them to those organizations. They need to reinvent the wheel. So if there's a domestic violence program that we could connect somebody to, that's what, we, that, what they do. That's, you know, if there's, uh, again, PTSD Foundation is one for veterans with addiction problems. We're not addiction counselors. We don't pretend to be. We don't want to be. We'll, we'll get veterans over there to the experts. We have one right now that went through there that's actually employed by them now. So we, we try to connect veterans to, to the right area where they get help. What we also do is the immediate assistance. So, and this is crucial because of the cognitive burden aspect and because of the survival mode, right? If we could get veterans, the, the housing first model, right? And if you're going through Maslow's, we need to get people housed. Well, if it's taking four, anywhere from four weeks to six months to get somebody in permanent housing, we're delaying their process. They're more likely to remain homeless. If we could get them into at least the extended state hotel or one of our apartments, we could preempt that while they're waiting on permanent housing. They can start operating like they would normally by getting a job, start bringing in some money and start raising their family and doing things. Not worried about the kids are going to eat tonight. They're not worried about in their head, can I get some food tonight? What am I going to do? Stressing out and they're not making decisions in the immediate need that harmed them in the long run. Okay. I uh, Look, you know, I've just been thinking about this. Uh, and I don't want to seem like I'm rushing it. You you have to come back. <laughs> I would have you back. I'll interview you uh, uh, every week for the for the rest of uh, all time. If it if in order to get the story out in a fashion that uh, everybody will understand and appreciate. Yeah. I, don't, I seem like I'm rushing you, and I apologize. No, uh, but I understand, brother. Okay. It's, I um. Uh, what's your what's the website again? Um, it's oprallypoint.org. O-P-R-A-L-Y-P-O-I-N-T dot org. Okay. Um, and I think everybody should uh, everybody should consider $500 right out of the gate. That's what I think. I was at your um, your uh, uh, relaunch uh, flag raising ribbon cutting ceremony a couple of weeks ago, and I was yes, impressed sir. with the crowd. There's about 50 people there, probably more, and, uh, uh, you know, just good. Uh, good, decent people that want to help out a great cause, and that's that's well, it's all about you, Brandon. It's all about you, Kevin. One, also, thank you for coming. And two, you're right there. I also want well, this is a very important piece of all of this. Is I look around this country, and there are a lot of people who want to help veterans. They just don't know how. 
Our trust has been broken through other organizations and through things that, that, that are out of our control. That said, we, that's why we like to be transparent and we like to put it out there and show people that we are helping our brothers and sisters. And, and I don't just mean that as operational employment, I mean that as veterans as a whole. And there are movements out here, not just us, that you can get behind, that your money's going to go to a good cause and that you're going to help. You may not have the time to get out here and go on the streets of Atlanta with me, but you, I don't even do that anymore. But you do have time where they may have coin, right? And they're like, hey, I'd love to give 10 bucks to the cause and know that that's helping someone. Society in general wants to help their neighbor. We have to yeah, create I, conduits. It's, I got to tell you, it's really well said. I'm impressed. I am, I'm really impressed. And I, and I thank you for being with us. I, uh, we will have you back again and again. Uh, I, think the, I think you got a lot of tall tales out there, most of them true that we could uh, discuss uh, and it'd be great to have you Blake also Tyler also we can we can make it a real hootenanny if we want but uh, you're a great subject you speak well you have a compelling story God bless you and yours Brandon I mean that likewise Kevin and you know God loves the infantry yeah amen <laughs> I was just a dumb grunt too <laughs> that's, right, that's uh, right that's right all right hey thanks very much for your time I do appreciate it and um we will catch you on the back nine. Thank you, Brandon. Amen, Sir, brother. Thank you, brother.